for me it was a February night. I remember it was snowing, freezing cold, and I went out for a quiet beer on a Friday, and it was Sunday morning, and I remember lying face down, shirt ripped, phone gone, money gone, thinking, if I lie here long enough, I'll just die. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm excited because I just found this dude on LinkedIn and I was just like, Sam, we need to talk. Uh, that's really how this all started. Uh, so we've got Sam Church. He's the co-founder of a great organization that's just launching called Mentality. I'm going to jump in and say it's about men's mental health, which is part of how we connected. But then we met uh, virtually and I uh, heard a little bit more about your story and it just felt right to get you onto the podcast, uh, telling us a little bit more deeply about your journey. So welcome to the show, Sam. Yeah, thank you for having me, Petra. It's, um, like you said, we just found each other on LinkedIn. We're yeah. both, both on the same mission. And yeah, no, it's great. It's great to talk about it. And thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So tell us, just, just to kick us off, a little bit about you and a little bit about mentality. So what's that all about? Yeah, so Mentality is a mental health organization, primarily and for men and men's mental health health per se. Now, what we do is we have a twofold attack on, on the subject of mental health. And one is to directly go and speak with companies and work through a series of modules that we teach on and engage with um, through keynotes as well. And, and specifically for construction industries, we do mental health toolbox talks. And for the individual, we believe at mentality that no individual should pay to live a healthier and happier life why should you not be why should you not have these tools presented to you in a manageable easier and positive way so what we've got is an online platform being launched on the 1st of July where 2020 people so this is 2020 this uh, might actually we might actually launch this around that date because we always record a little bit early so it might right be when it's launching yeah yeah so we're launching the online platform 1st of July 2020 where all you need to do is put your email address in yeah. and you gain access to everything you need to feel better you know eat better sleep better work out how you want to exercise better. That's just on the mind, body side of things. So in the mind as well, we take care of that. And we've brought in experts in, in every field and we take you on that journey. And So you're really coming from a holistic, like uh, the whole bit around helping you feel better, not just the kind of mental health side of things. It, it, exactly that. Because we see mental health, health, the body and the mind as one. And... 
yeah, they are separate. They're two different things, but ultimately one helps the other. So, exactly. I, it's, isn't it hilarious how people think like the body's not connected to the head and it's not, you, do you know what I mean? It's so kind of separate sometimes. Exactly. And we, we talk about it and we've got a nutritionist and chef on board and 90% of serotonin, we call it the happy mood, is created in your gut. So essentially you are what you eat. It's a true saying. So if you eat better, then you're more likely to, to go for a run after and, and it goes on and on. And, then, and to top it off, we like to really dive into then the mind aspect of it with things, topics like gratitude, journaling and, and all of the things that you can do of which is all out there. All this knowledge is available. And what a lot of people talk about it, but how do you actually do it? What's that, what's that middle bit? Because we've heard previously, and I'm sure you've heard it before, is, yeah, I feel great now and I do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And for me, when I was struggling for many years, it's, I didn't want to do anything, let alone go and research how to do it first to then get better. So we've yeah. tried to be that middleman and break it down. And it's through our lived experiences as well. So we know that it works. So and kind we of hope sim- that it simplify works. it. Yeah. 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 I love it. So, and I want to get into your story because I know that you're so passionate and you've built this very much because you were your ideal person, you know, ideal client, you know, sort of several years ago, but to start off, why men, why men, like one could argue that I just need to be part of the platform and we all need a little bit of happiness, but tell us why men. Yeah. It's, we've had this conversation a few times um, and it's, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, why men? So first and foremost, when I, when I got myself better and took action, it was because I related with someone else. And fortunately, unfortunately, it was a male. It was a man just like me that had the same feelings, same emotions, a similar story. And because you could relate to him on a very I personal could, level. I could relate to him. Now, I also see, see specialists as well. So therapists and counselors, and they were female, um, not my age category, and they'd not necessarily had my story, but were very experienced, had ev- all of the qualifications and were very good. Um, I understood what they're saying. I just couldn't connect. Yeah. And I, and I didn't know why. And whether it was because I was a man, I was a woman, I, I don't really know. But it's sometimes for me, certainly, I, I found it easier to engage with someone that was similar to myself. You could, see, I know. You could see yourself in, in their story. So let's, let's jump into your story because um, we're getting to that recovery point. Um, yeah. But let us know, just give me a context of growing up. So when you were a child, you know, did you feel like you got um, messaging that was helpful around, I don't know, life in the real world, um, the, the skills that you would need to build to, to be resilient and just handle stuff? Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. And school, school was great. I had a perfectly normal upbringing, cool. um, fairly successful at school, um, achieved a lot in sport, specifically football, and I was part of a team. And to be honest, it was good. Life, life was really good. 
I never did really feel like if I was in a team, see, I had a huge ego. I had to be, at, if I was in the team, I was in the middle of the, the park. I had to be captain. I had to do this. I had to do that. And I had a, a real comp- competitive and wanting to achieve competitive, but to maybe an unhealthy level. And, you know, and when, when, when football and sport was taken away from me, you know, I, I didn't have that. And I think around about the age of 18, when I'd finished school and I hadn't started drinking by this point, I was starting to detach and remove myself from circles of friends that I was in. And not necessarily because they they did nothing wrong and they were great friends, still are. And I, I was just slowly moving away, slowly creeping away into Sam's world Okay. And, I, and, I, and I, I didn't know why. Oh, you didn't know point. why, okay. No, it was just, I, could, I just lost connection with, with everyone and then it was things. So then it was, well, maybe I'll be happy when. that Them sorts of conversations were going on in my head. Right, I'll be happy if I had that job. I'll be happy if I lived there. I'll be happy if I had that car, that girlfriend, so on and so forth. And I quite quickly found out when I had those things, you know, all that promotion at work, it never made me happy. So I couldn't really put my finger on it and I didn't know why. And to, to answer your questions with school, you know, this, the education around all of this is non-existent. Right. It was non-existent. It was, these are your subjects, you're going to learn on that and you'll take an exam and society told me that you had to get this grade to do this and if you got this, you went to that university. And if you went to that university, they'd promise you X amount of pounds when you left it, which pays your bills, so on and so forth. And there's which your life. Which means path. that you'll be happy and fit in and have, feel a sense of belonging. It's just like, that's the path. Exactly that. And that's the path you're going to go on. And that's it. And I was never really, that never really sat right with me, to be honest, whether it's wanting to be a high achiever or, I didn't really know what I wanted is, is the truth. Sure, but, you're fit, but from such a young age, you're squished into this box of how you should, what achievement looks like, what happiness looks like, what aspiration looks like, go this way, right? Exactly that. And I'm a firm believer in that's one of the main causes of depression because you have it mapped out, a blueprint in your mind of this is where I'm going to be. This is what I need to do. And in the minute your life doesn't match that, you'd be depressed. And I quickly fell into that trap and it didn't match what I thought I wanted at that point in time. And it slowly, slowly started going downhill. And then also part of my story is, is the fascination with alcohol from the age of, from about 18 and it quickly developing into, into an addiction. So do you, do you remember those very first experiences of drinking? Like for many of us, so we know that I'm, I'm about 12, 13 years sober. So it's a, a little bit of a stretch of time, but I can still remember. You know? I, I can remember. Yeah. yeah, very well. The first... Describe it. Yeah, I'll tell you, that there was two, two times. And the first time I got drunk and the first time I had alcohol. So the first time I had alcohol, <laughs> it was very odd. I... I I was playing football and it was a Friday evening. I was probably about 15 and I was playing at, at county level for, for Reading then or Berkshire, I think it was. Um, mm-hmm. Played really well, had a great game, came home, 
so parents and stuff went to bed and I sat there and I found two cold beers in the fridge. And for some reason I drank both of them in probably under one minute mm -hmm. and sat down and was, Hmm, didn't think anything of it, but it was a bit abnormal just to see it and do it. Um, I didn't think nothing of it after that from 15. Then was there I, any addiction in your family? Like generationally? that you were aware yeah. of? Had it, had, did, did anyone talk or did you observe negative impacts around it? What I know now and what I've seen, yeah, and I can't speak for others on whether they're an addict or not. That's, that's their, their decision to, to admit that, I guess. But yeah, there's certainly similar traits to what I was doing and sure. the way I did it and with and similarities with, with those. So sure. mm. yeah, um, I believe I was born this way as well. I don't think it happened because of an event. I think it's just in me. I've got so that's interesting. So, so there's this um, great doctor that does um, speeches and he's all over YouTube. So Dr. Gabor Mate talks a lot about how um, he believes trauma, and we can use that word loosely, um, is the precursor or it like activates the gene within us um, who have that predisposition for addiction and yeah. do you do you feel like you don't relate to the, the like incident or trauma trigger for you or no because I was thinking and I've gone through my life I'm sure you have <laughs> yes bit, bit bit by bit and like I just said my childhood and that there was I don't come from a, you know a broken home I haven't lost parents and nothing not been any serious incidents or accidents i've not been to prison and i and I, because i thought well the stereotypical alcoholic is that person on a park bench maybe with a brown paper bag uh with nothing that that's an you alcoholic can't, you can relate to that yeah i can relate so that's definitely not me so i've not got a problem with with drink um so no i, I just no there was no trigger point maybe there was you know, there are a lot of moments in my life where things have built up and unbelievable like trauma is not necessarily the events that have happened to me, but the way I've dealt with things. Yes. So I put my own trauma within me. Yes. And so how we adapt or don't, because you can have the same incident happen to two people and one person, it starts to crumble them from within and somebody else is just like, all right, bring it on next thing. Sort of, you know, that mindset. And it's yeah, like that, maybe that little piece was missing. Yeah, the high achiever and someone that's nailing it these days would go, look, pain's growth, you know, turn, turn it straight around and here we go and we're away. For me, I was poor Sam. Poor Sam, how do I deal with this? Full of running around victim. with victim yeah. mode. Everyone else has got a great life, but poor old Sam. You know, so, so you, what was the time you got drunk? So you, so it was that first time and then yeah. tell us about that time. It was a happy time actually for, for, sure. not, for the, not for the reason why it should be. I remember England were playing Germany, uh, ah. in Germany, a football match. And oh. we won five, one in that game. Everyone else in the pub was celebrating because England have just crushed Germany at a game of football, which is never usually happens. Yes. Uh, five, one, <laughs> but I'd found lager that night on a, on a serious level. So, I, and I first got, I got drunk and that moment I was like, wow, now I feel completely different. Now I'm not the same Sam that walked into that pub. 
yeah. this alcohol has taken me away from everything I was feeling before that moment. So that's a really good bit of medicine for me. I thought, I thought this is great. Regarding transporting. Yeah. Yeah. It took me, it took me away. It took me out of my own mind for those two or three hours, you know, and you wake up with a hangover and you think, Oh, why did I do that? But I was, because of my addictive personality, it was like, right, I know how to sort that out. I'll do it again. And from that moment, I, I drank alcoholically from that moment. There, really? was, okay. there, was no, there was no gradual build-up. Mm. I can't remember ever a time of going out and go for a, a one, go for a quick one or two. It, it didn't exist in my world. Um, and you quickly build an environment around that behavior in order to normalize it as much as possible, right? Exactly that. I started as, uh, who, I, who I associated myself with um, after sort of five or six years, I was getting to the point if someone was right, should we go to uh, get a pizza tonight? And I, I'd be like, right, I can't really go to that there because you'd only have two beers with that person and having the whole pizza thing would slow it down. It's not acceptable on a Wednesday night. So I would go off with someone else and do my own thing. Yeah. I would obsess to the, that level of right. Who drinks on my level? Who's going to drink as much as me? So I don't stand out, you know, which is That's what people don't understand is the actual, the amount of emotional, like planning, obsessive energy that yeah. there's all around the surroundings of the actual drinking, right? It's exhausting. Yeah. Um, you know, not only not wanting to stand out from the crowd um, with my friends, you know, come on, Sam, you've had a bit too much. I used to hate those sorts of comments, but even being at home with, with my family and trying to hide it there was extremely difficult because my mind was obsessing, right? If I, how do I get just to the shop, get this stuff back into the house without anyone realizing, then hiding it, then consuming it, then trying to get those bottles to the, the recycling bin for a Tuesday without the, the you know, I lived in a cul-de-sac. I, I think, you, you knew it was me on a Tuesday with the, the clinking of the bins and it was trying to get that there and distribute it into other people's bins. And so there was already the, a bit of like shame and not wanting to be found, found out. Back 100%, then. 100%. And when I finally admitted that I was an alcoholic and told a few people, I was really, we knew you liked to drink, but no one knew. And I was quite good at hiding it. I thought I was anyway, to some, it was very obvious, but it, like you say, it was, it's exhausting. Absolutely. I, exhausting. I remember when there were so many times when I blacked out and completely like had no recollection of like a chunk of time. And I would tell a friend this and like when we're like rehashing the night and they'd be like, oh really? You didn't seem that bad. And I would latch on to that comment and be like, I'm good. And, and ignore like the scratches and bruises on my body or the fact that I had no fucking clue what there's this gap in time. And, you know, and so yeah. any, any kind of messaging that could reinforce that this was normal, I would try and like, just hold on. Yeah. To that. But, that, but that person said, and they didn't have a clue what I'd been up to most of the evening, you know? Yeah. It's, it's the terrifying waking up the next morning. And what did I do? Because I didn't know what a blackout was. Uh, until someone explained it to me. And essentially it was, for those that know what a blackout is, it's a point in the evening where you're drunk 
but you're still functioning you're and carrying still- on with no remembrance of anything. So you have no idea. And for me, I'd black out quite early, 8, 9 p.m. So, and get in at 4 or 5. So what, what I did never know what happened. And I started putting notes in my phone throughout the evening or writing post-it notes at home of must do this, must do that. Sam did this. And to try and remember and the, the dreaded text messages, like you said, oh. of, do you remember this, Petra? Do you remember this, Sam? And, and you're just... And then mate. trying to keep up the facade of like laughing it off, you know, of, of like, ha ha, what a crazy night. When it, on the inside, there's that churn of the stomach of like, holy fuck, what else happened? Or, yeah. you know, the, the, the dread. So, so jump ahead now. Where, so that's quite a number of years of alcoholic drinking, right? 16, 17 years, I think I did. Were you, were you holding down jobs? Were you, like, what, what, where did it get to? Talk us through some of that dark, the dark time where it got you to. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, and this is what I couldn't work out because I associated um, alcoholism with someone that didn't have a job, didn't have a home, you know, wasn't successful and all the rest of it. And I'd always re- remained in employment. I, if anything, I, I became more successful in my sales career and done really well, you know, and I've used my level of drinking as quite a badge of honor, but being in the sales environment. And well, the the, there's, the, culturally, it. it's a bit okay, right? To, to party, drink, uh, work hard, play hard, that kind of thing, right? Exactly. So in my 20s, it was, oh, I'm still a lad. I'm in sales that was fine. That was the done thing. But creeping into thirties with two children, you know, being married and at home and still trying to do it, but it was tough, but essentially now I, I never lost jobs. I've always done well. I've, you know, had my own home. I've had cars and from the outside, it was absolutely fine. Um, but inside I just felt emotionally bankrupt with it all. I had it all externally, but nothing, nothing within, just hollow. You know, it was just, it was just sad and desperate, to be honest. And so what, what woke you up? Like, what was, what was your rock bottom moment or your moment where you were like, I fucking have to do something? Yeah. So I thought I had a few rock bottoms, but clearly they weren't <laughs> bottom enough for yeah. me. You know, um, police sales waking up in places, going out for one drink, coming home three days later, uh, you name it. Yeah. Going off to South America for six months to find myself because I thought that was a solution. And to be honest, it was just more carnage there. It was quite strategic of me going to South America with everything that we know and hear of that goes on there. Um, But for me, it was a February night. I remember it was snowing, freezing cold, and I went out for a quiet beer on a Friday. And it was Sunday morning, and I remember lying face down, shirt ripped, phone gone, money gone, thinking, if I lie here long enough, I'll just die. And that's it. So I did. And I lied there. I, 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 but the strange thing was, I didn't want to live because I couldn't see how I could go on like this, but I didn't want to die because I had a family. Mm. And so I was torn between the two. And, but I did, I lied there and just, just felt unconscious. Um, fortunately for me, you know, I talk about the, the value of being kind out of nowhere. 
a random car pulls over at the side of the road. You know, I'm, I'm a good 10, 15 miles from my own doorstep and just asked me, is everything okay? Are you all right? And well, clearly I wasn't. Um, they give me a lift home that night. I had nothing. I told them and, and, I, and I got home. And at that point, I thought, well, enough's enough. So I quickly downed another bottle of gin <laughs> just, just, just to make sure. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. As in, I mean, it's hilarious to me, but for the, the, the regular person who's like, the fuck, you've just been robbed. You've just been like, you could have been killed, like the whole list of things. And we know there were 16 years of other lists of things, right? Yeah, and you exactly. Think, I've had enough, but in order to cope with this, let me just knock something back. Yeah. Just knock something back because I'm going. I'm about to go online and Google recovery, and <laughs> it's gonna be like tough. That. So Ooh. I'm gonna sit here, some lukewarm gin, get Oof. that down me, and yeah, that was my last drink. That 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 moment. Some you needed the horrible. courage. To yeah, the Dutch <laughs> courage for that, and yeah, and a couple of days later, I remember I went to the doctors to see my the usual GP to get my you know, my monthly prescription of antidepressants and everything else that I, I was taking at the time. And that person, that doctor wasn't there. They was sick that day and another doctor was standing in. And she said to me, she didn't ask me the usual questions. Are you feeling suicidal? The, the 10 questions that I used to get read out monthly and month by month. She said, none of the things. And she just said, Sam, you know what? You're an alcoholic. Ooh, Wow. Here's a phone number. Call them now in front of me. And three hours later, I was in um, meeting up with others in recovery. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that was it. And, and I got chills. Was- I got chills just then. And it's one of those serendipitous moments of like you, the timing was right. Because I imagine if she'd been that doctor who'd switched maybe six months ago or a year ago and told you the exact same thing, perhaps you wouldn't have been ready to hear it. So no, it's no way. Do you know what I mean? No, no I wasn't cooked enough. No, yeah. I'm a firm believer that I had to go all the way down. I had to. Why do we have to do that? Because I had to as well. Yeah. Knowing what I know now, if this was given to me at school, it still wouldn't have stopped me. I still would have gone on to the journey. And and, um, side point, you've got kids. I've got kids. Um, One of my kids, who I shall not name, possibly shows some of the things that you were talking about earlier, which is like, I need the next best thing to, in order to feel better. That's my hypothesis as a you know, recovering alcoholic on the experience that that child might be going through. Um, and it's a really tricky one. You may have the worry about your kids that one of them may have the genetic predisposition that we pass on to them somehow. And removing the guilt or anything, like that's out of our control. I'm trying to think, Besides education, so we have the conversation all the time that, you know, addiction is in our family and that we need to be more vigilant than perhaps other families in thinking about this. But as teenagers, because that's the age they're at, they're going to experiment. And I also know that doing the constricting, because I grew up in a more controlled environment, you can't try anything kind of thing, just makes them go underground. And then when the challenges are coming up, you can't, you know... But also there's this powerlessness of just going, you know, they're my kids and, and I don't know how to fully do this right. I don't know. What do you think? You've got kids. Is that a worry? Yeah, it's, it's it has come, come across my mind and, and it's like I really don't want them to 
have oh. to go through what I did, um, which is, it, it is difficult because you, I can't control what someone else does. I can't control what my kids do. What I can do is be a role model um, and display display what I do on a daily basis to make them think, you know what, I, I'd like to, to try that. another way. Is, a, is another way, not force feed it. Um, but, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I started Mentality. How can I, how can I tell my kids what to do um, if I'm not going after my own dreams and goals? And, and, my, and Lee, the other, my co-founder, he talks about it all the time, is if I give my kids one thing, it'd be a growth mindset, you know? And, and it's an amazing thing. So, Agreed. yeah, I think it's, whatever we do is we try and give off that attraction of, do you know what? I liked that. And if my kids or my friends or anyone want to do something, it's do it for an intrinsic motive, you know, not because someone else thinks that that's going to be good for you because it's, it's not sustainable. For example, you know, I, I've spoken about it before is why do you go to the gym and men that want to go and get a six pack? Are they doing it for a, to impress all the girls, get a six pack and everyone go, that's amazing. Aren't you great? You, you look fantastic. Or are they doing it? Because do you know what? I want to get fit and I like to compete and I like being healthy because you're going to sustain that one because the minute someone goes or stops going. Yeah. You, know, you start going backwards. So I love that just about the yeah. growth mindset but also I wasn't surrounded by people talking to me about what addiction was or like the pre-signs or where it could lead. Like I, I didn't have that. I didn't grow up with my biological father and it's that side of the family that has the, the gene. Um, and so I'd like to think that knowing that an alcoholic wasn't necessarily somebody on the park bench or there were different versions of what it looks like in order to cope. And also that there was another way to live like, I think that role modeling, I'd like to, I, I may still have just stubbornly gone down my path, um, but I, I, I didn't know that there was another way. Or like you said, you didn't know you were sick. You didn't know that this was a, a thing because you were functioning, but yeah. that there was a different way to, to be happy. So you have that moment and I've seen the, the wonderful, successful, giving back dude who's, you know, all of that. Um, but you, you, you find recovery. Now, what was that first week, two weeks, three weeks, like the first three months of, of just like recognizing, realizing how tough was it? What was that transition like? Yeah, it was a massive shock. It's hard. It, it, even when I was surrounded by men just like me telling their stories that were my story, yeah. exactly the same. And I was still sat there for a good few weeks. I was having none of it. I, I, yeah. I came in kicking and screaming, to be honest. I, I, I'll be here six months and then I'll learn how to drink like a gentleman and I'll be on my merry way. Um, <laughs> but the more, <laughs> yeah, that was, I genuinely thought that. I couldn't handle the fact when I thought someone told me, you're never going to drink again. You can't. You, you just cannot do this. It's too and big I, a it, thought, isn't it? Yeah, and I was immediately projecting that, that year's event calendar. Right, well, my birthday's then. Then there's Christmas. There's that wedding. How That football match is on. How can I enjoy myself without being drunk? And I, I, like you just said, I didn't know there was another way. 
I didn't know it existed that you could function in life without alcohol. Um, and to many that are not addicts or alcoholics, they, well, yeah, take it or leave it. It's, it's fine. But for the alcoholic, that obsession is, is, is real and it, and it, and it, it takes over and, it, and, and you, you just start thinking about the future and what you, what you can do, what you can't do. And I remember the first few weeks and months, it was, I was still going to a few things, so, you know, I'm driving and I had an excuse book of, of, you yeah. know, get out. Yeah. So I've got to get up in the morning. I've got work. I've got to drive. Or I can't do this, which was my friends going, what's wrong with Sam? You know, he's usually the first one here. Um, but you know, I got through it quite quickly after listening and opening my eyes and being ready for it. I realized that there is another way and the, the obsession started to go quite quickly, you know, probably after about a month, six weeks. It's once the habit was, changes, right? Um, so, so you've got the brain psychology, that, that habit, you know, it's, oh, it's not my automatic reaction to, to pick one up. But then there's the, the, correct me if I'm wrong, but shame, guilt, that now you have to wake up to perhaps people you've hurt or um, your kids that you maybe weren't present with or, or like I put my kids in danger. Like there, there's a whole host of things that um, I could sit in, in shame about. And, and you literally have to learn the skills, don't you, of a growth mindset. It's almost like you're a teenager again in, at 30 or whatever, you know, and you've got to be like, oh, what do people do when they feel like punching someone, you know? <laughs> it, it, exactly that. And that was the bit, you, that, uh, you know, not drinking, it took my medicine away. So exactly. I was like, to my numb aunt, it. Yeah. yeah so everything I had and my default setting of drinking and, and numbing that pain had been taken away. So I did... So for a little bit, it was like, this is even worse because exactly. now I, I don't know how to cope with this. And that's something that I've learned over you know, the years now of, of how to deal with that. And to be honest, life's completely different now. I don't know how I had time to go drinking. I don't know where I fitted it in, to be honest. I mean, I was, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I remember the first time I had a massive issue with Paddington train station in the very fact that I used to get a train from Reading to London on a daily basis, but I could never just get on a train and come home. I, there was a little bar on the platform and I'd get stuck in there. And I remember the first time I walked straight past it and got on a train, went home, had a coffee and went to bed. And that little win, and it, that's perfectly normal. For normal people, <laughs> for, yes. For the majority that of commuters. But that after 12 years of not being able to do it was, was quite something. And then, and then I had these little wins. Oh, that's amazing. I can do this. And wow, I haven't got to scuttle off to the recycling bin on a Tuesday anymore. I haven't got to hide. So the brain fog was starting to go and the madness was disappearing and the consequences reduced. And then I see something in it and then I, I wanted more and more of it. And that's, you know, what I've stuck at now on a daily basis. So what are, um, so obviously at the beginning, you're, you're practicing a growth mindset by learning about well-being tools or things that you can use to replace the urge or the thing that that medicine would have normally um, kind of helped you with, in quotation marks for our audio listeners. Um, but what are, what are some of your non-negotiables now? So how do you look after your well-being in order to now maintain not just the leaving the drink, but the actual being your best self as a, as a dad, as an employee, as a, you know, running mentality, all of that. Yeah. I mean, 
first and foremost, it's, it's taken the selfishness away from me because I was extremely selfish. It was all about what I can do and what I can get out of it. That's gone now. You know, I try and whatever I do, think how it would affect someone else. And I'm finding that, let's say I'm speaking with you today. I do something for you. You go, thanks a lot, Sam. That's great. That's really helped me. I feel better automatically. I'm finding a lot more reward in helping someone else, hence the business we've set up. That keeps me well. So helping other people keeps me well. So I I do that in whatever I can do. In terms of little tangible hacks and tricks that I do, yeah, there's there's an there's a list as long as my arm about what you can you can do on a daily basis like you know journaling gratitude meditation eating better go and exercise that it's it's all there but for me i just i've just really put it into bite-sized chunks on a daily basis so it's not overwhelming so i do eat better you know i do exercise i do meditate brackets reflect the word meditation scared me at first sure it's i i imagined a buddhist monk straight away going on yes yeah, right. yeah. um but for me it's could be five minutes just sitting down and reflecting on something that i've learned in that day or that's happened and, and thought about it just for a bit longer than usual that's a form of meditation you know um i, t- I keep a daily journal as well pen and paper quite old school there was there's no need for expensive journaling books it's not saying they're not great but for me it works on a pen and paper yeah so and and probably the most important thing and i'm a firm believer in you are what you surround yourself with and the environment you're in if you sound surround yourself with toxic people or you're in a toxic relationship or you know they're they're in a fixed mindset where that this is it then the only way it is yeah yeah then you it naturally rubs off so the circles i move in now um and not get don't get me wrong some of the the friends i still have from a while ago i thought were useless (laughs) they're still the same people it was me that was the problem at that point and they're great but you know i've shifted who i mix with i've shifted who i speak to you know, and speaking to people like yourself about like-minded things. We've got interest, we connect and we engage on it and it, and it, and it's great. And I, and I just do that on a daily basis, to be honest. And to be honest, I know this is the hardest one is I used to worry a lot. Yeah. yeah. I used to worry about everything. Eight years down the line, I'd go off to Narnia and predict what was going to happen if I did that thing and take it, taking that away from me and, and being present, you know, and all of these things like meditation, reflecting, journaling, they help you to be present. So if you can get to a state of presence, then you, you're less likely to worry because you're not looking at the future and you can't change yesterday anyway. So why worry about it? And you, I guess, and what you're saying is these things are really a, a practice uh, uh, that are daily or weekly that allow you to build the muscle as it were of, of mental fitness as well as of course um, physical health uh, so it's about maintaining it so like for people listening uh, thinking oh well that's a lot of stuff you know 
Um, but I love how you say meditation is a scary word, but it might be five minutes. It might be like 15 minutes of journaling. It might be a 20 minute exercise thing. It might be a walk. So sometimes people think, oh, Sam's life must just like, when are you going to work? Because it's just like well-being stuff. But I love how practical you are. It's just like, no, I fit it into my day in order to be the best at all of those things. What, and, you, and, you, and you have so much time left when you're not now stuck in the bar. Yeah. Well, exactly. I've, you know, replaced eight hours of drinking a day with this. So, you know, and I don't take eight hours to do everything that I've just listed. And that's important for the listener as well, that it can be overwhelming. And this is what I've tried doing, with, I'm doing with mentality and breaking that down and making it easy and accessible because you can go on to Instagram, for example, and you see the stereotypical, this is, this is what yoga is, and it's the person in the lycra doing an amazing pose, right? Extending it and way, doing way, the work. Yeah, way too unachievable for someone like me. But the fundamentals of yoga, and we've called it yoga, and we've called it mobility, is can you sit cross-legged and just sit down for 20 minutes? And, and without some, aches and pains. Yeah, without yeah. aches and pains. So there's... There's different forms of it and it's what I do doesn't take me long every day. It's not overwhelming. I'm not preparing salmon and jacket potatoes for a two hour lunch session. You know, I'm not a marathon runner. I don't go to a gym. You know, I don't have a million books on self-help stacked up. It's I've picked the ones that are right for me. Yeah, I do the things that I can fit to my day. And usually one affects the other. So if I maybe have something nice to eat for breakfast, that's fairly healthy. I'm more likely to go for a walk after and so on and so forth. So you forth. build positive momentum. You kind of stack the well-being stuff and it just, and then you, you get the mood lift and then it just helps you continue to do the other things. It, exactly that. And this is why New Year's resolutions 95%, 99% fail. One, because we're told to do it, because it's a new year, everyone gets one, so you're not doing it for yourself. Two, well, I certainly did. Right, it's new year, I'm going to get a gym membership, all of the gear, brand new trainers. By 15th of Jan, it was finished with. Certainly by the end of Jan, it was completely done, you know, and so on and so forth. So just make it simple, a simple routine. Don't over It fits for you. It fits yeah. for you. All of these tools that we teach and we know of and are out there and available to everybody you know they can put be, can be put in context for the for the individual which is an important thing i love this so um we're we're at our time but um i love that if you want your well-being kind of uh simplified especially if you're a man and you want a, a group that could, could support you uh, along your journey. And it might be giving up drink, but it certainly might not be, but it might just be um, your mental health, having that place where you can talk to somebody who is similar to you, or to, you can think about all aspects of your, your well-being in order to be a better boyfriend, husband, father, employee, business owner, like to create a happier life and you're a beautiful role model of that. So finally, uh, what's the website? Where can people find you if they're interested in getting involved? Yeah, so we're on a few different social media platforms. Our website is mentalitytheofficial.com. Nice. That's the same for LinkedIn, the same for Facebook, and the same for Instagram. 
and yeah and look out for the first of july and that's where you'll be able to find access to our free online platform and when i say free your bank card will never go near my website it is truly free it's actually free um i appreciate that okay cool we'll put all of that into the show notes sam thank you so much for your time and telling us your story thank you petra thank you for having me great Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through petrabelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.